Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to your second shot of the week. That's right, not Brandon behind the mic. This is becoming a little too regular for us, but Dan here, willing to take up the mantle, kind of like being that vice captain as Plaqueta to Brandon Busby's Gary Cahill. But we do have Nick and Mike who are back, which is phenomenal news for all of us. And Mike... How you feeling after that win? You didn't get a chance to talk about it last episode, so we got to give you a second. I, I, you know, I got to say, I was when I watched Conte's shot just scream into the net. Uh, I had this guttural like Dave Chappelle, Howard Dean, like erupt <laughs> out of me. Um, and, and you know, it's I hadn't felt that way watching the club in a while because I think you know we've been in such control at times to kind of be in that underdog role. Um, it was just. There's no feeling like that, and I'm st- I'm still buzzing. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And Nick, how are you feeling? Are you are you more recovered now this week? I yeah, I'm I'm a little bit better. I recorded uh, from Austin last week, so I'm I'm back home in the friendly confines of Kansas City this week, which is nice. Um, apologies for missing the midweek. I had a uh, ridiculous week at work, so I can I can step away. But I'm back. I'm back and just the same as ever not better just the same <laughs> well you know we are also very fortunate that Nazar Kasela from goal was willing to stick around and spend some more time with us uh, I feel like you know uh, absence would make the heart grow fonder but more Nazar is always a good thing welcome back sir yeah same goes two ways <laughs> <laughs> all right well this if you are not aware and and somehow this is your first episode of the London's Blue podcast welcome we talk about Chelsea which is phenomenal cool but we also uh 
did announce on our last episode that we have transitioned our hosting platform. So we're invited to join the Anchor platform, which allows us to you know, come up with some different ways of helping to support our podcast. Obviously, we do things like Patreon. We do our partnerships with World Soccer Shop or Classic Football Shirts. And this is just another way for us to help continue to do things like prepare for potentially a live podcast in Boston later in the, in the coming year. Question mark? Yeah, uh, party time from uh, you know nine a.m. or nine p.m. until question mark? Yeah, that's what it'll be like. So uh, I know that you're going to hear uh, Nick, Mike, Brandon, myself read some ads occasionally. They'll be inserted, and I believe we're going to lead into one right now. All right, so you're listening to this podcast right now, London is Blue. And guess what? We host our podcast on Anchor.fm. That's right. If you're looking to host your own podcast, this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. All right, and we're back after that brief ad. See, it was basically harmless. So we're going to get into your social media questions. And first, we always kick it to our friends on Patreon. They get their VIP, their Fast Pass experience to get questions answered on the podcast. So first one from our main man, Shane, asking... Here's my post-Man City question. Do you think Sorry had them training with Hazard up top this season, or do we just watch Chelsea figure out this variation of the system as they progress through the match? Nazar, it seems pretty likely that this is something that Sorry has practice with versus just rolling out and uh, trying out for a one-week stint. Yeah, so if you think about Sari, the former Napoli manager and his history, uh, the false nine's been quite a big part of it. Um, Dries Mertens was another Belgian, another great goal-scoring Belgian. He was the guy in Napoli, and uh, he replaced successfully. He replaced uh, Gonzalo Higuain, who was a proper number nine at Napoli. And uh, yeah, he he likes this system. But yeah, obviously, he keeps the ball on the ground a lot. There's not many crosses coming into the box, even for even when they do play a number nine. It's it can be quite frustrating for Morata and Giroud. They have to adapt a lot because there's not many crosses. These these wingers that Chelsea have, Hazard, Willian and Pedro, they all like to cut inside. They play a different way, short passing. So um it's quite it's quite a it's quite an easy transition for Chelsea to make and they've done it before under Conte and uh yeah I I'm not surprised to see the false nine uh, around and I think that it was always going to happen. And I'm, I'm actually surprised that it just took so long to happen. Uh but yeah it, I think that We'll see it here and there, but the big the big problem is the squad management. If you play Hazard as a false nine, you're putting Mur- Murata out of the 18, and then uh, that could be an issue, especially if you keep doing it over a prolonged period. Um, if you do it with Giroud, it's the same thing, so I'm not just digging out Murata. I mean, these two guys are talented strikers, and they'll get fed up, and they'll push to move, and, and the, the vibe in the dressing room maybe changes a little bit if you change the tactics. So I think that that's been something that Sari's thought about um, in not using it up until now, but certainly it was always on the cards. 
All right. So there's a wonderfully detailed answer to that. We also had a question here from Reed asking, why isn't William better? Uh, is this as good as he's going to get? Shouldn't we expect more production out of him? Right now, I feel the same about him as I did about Oscar. High expectations and rarely meets them. Should we be looking for an upgrade at right wing in the next six months, Nicholas? I love how... So, Reed's my man. He's a Nebraska fan, so so I always align with Reed. But I love how Reed asks questions. It is There's no fluff. It is just straight to the, straight to the point. Um, I, I understand the frustrations around William. We've talked about that ad nauseum on the show uh, in the past. Uh, I thought William played pretty well yesterday, though. I mean, Reed, to be honest with you, I know that he scuffed uh, one or two of the opportunities that he had uh, to extend the lead. Um, but his pressing game was good. He was able to interchange really well with Hazard. And I think the the free kick he took was pretty decent, although easily saved by Ederson. So, um, I, I do think Chelsea should look to upgrade every position in the next year or two years. Like I, I just, that's the way football is. We, we have to uh, grow and get better or, or get, you know, inevitably worse. So uh, yeah, I think right wing we've, we've all talked about Leon Bailey before we've all talked about, you know, the potential for Pulisic coming in from, from Dortmund. I think there, there are options out there that would help this squad achieve greater heights this year. And if that, is available and the and the you know, Roman and, and Co want to pay the the transfer fees, then by all means, let's do it. All right, so we'll go a little bit broader after that with our friend Derek asking of the last two matches, which one uh, is the most important to draw broad and maybe shaky conclusions from? Like, <laughs> uh, uh, both. I mean, I think what we're seeing is we're at our best when Jorginho is playing, and you know, David Luiz playing at his best as well. I think. Um, I know I, I look at both matches and I see one you had a team completely buying in you I think um, you know it's the same back four really the difference is is that the forwards and the midfield um, the pressing and and the follow-through that they had is the difference you know you're not isolating the back four with runs so I think it's so pretty much the same team I think it's just a matter of drive and desire and you know it's We'll have to see how we do when we're not playing City again. Naz, any shaky or broad conclusions you would draw from the last two matches? Yeah, um, I think that inconsistency might be a theme that stops Chelsea competing for the title. Um, I think the way Man City put away teams like Wolves uh, is really why they're a cut above everyone else and uh, Liverpool are having to step up to it and everyone else does. Um, the top six are generally putting these teams away, but there's such a small margin for error in terms of title race. In terms of personnel, I think it is that Chelsea have shown that they are a really good team. They're really good players. Uh, already they have really good players and they are already a really good team. But um, I think that what Sari, you know, he's he's given us sort of an insight into what he sees every day in the dressing room uh, and behind the scenes that maybe, you know, even the journalists who uh, get maybe a bit more access don't see it. And he says that it's really a mentality thing that they're working through. He's trying to get the right motivation, the right determination, the right aggression uh, and the right leadership to try and propel this group to get a new energy um, and that could be maybe transfers, maybe, you know, William was bad for five games in a row, I'd probably say, ever since the Everton game. Could we? Could you replace him? Maybe, but um, it's difficult to replace them because Pulisic's not really playing for Dortmund and 
Bailey is not having a great season after a great year last year with Leverkusen. So um, they, they're probably getting criticised by, by their own fans. Um, so it's not easy to replace even somebody like Willian, who isn't the superstar in the team, it's Hazard, but um, it's going to take a big player to come in uh, and expensive player at that. So we'll see. Um, it's, it's an interesting time. I think Chelsea are in a huge battle for the top four places. And I think it will be, I don't agree with Guardiola. He said that Chelsea, Spurs and Arsenal can win the league, not Man United, but uh, those are the three. I don't think it's true. I think those three teams are competing for the top four and a really good team's going to drop out of the top four this season. Yeah, we're going to get into, after we answer some of these questions, a little bit of conversation about what is going to happen with the top four and kind of We'll, we'll, we'll also bring in the top six. So we'll give a little, uh, Manchester United conversation for you as well, Naz. But, um, after we answer some more of these questions, Nick, did you have a broad or shaky conclusion to round us out? Um, I think the only thing I would say is that, you know, obviously Chelsea changed the way they played against City and I think showed them, uh, you know, showed City a, a good amount of respect, but, you know, still played with a passion and a desire and a collective spirit that they didn't play with against Wolves, where you know they basically dropped off the second half and and never really responded to the counterpunch. And that's really disappointing that that switch can be flipped so frequently or infrequently. Um, I, I would just hope that you know I I understand that big matches bring a different level out of some players, but I would just hope that there's more consistency in in spirit and approach moving forward that, that would be my my broad conclusion all right i'm gonna throw one out too i think if you look at three of the youth product in terms of calm hudson adoy ruben loftus cheek and andres christensen i'm gonna say that my shaky and broad conclusion is andres christensen out of the three is going to have the hardest time reestablishing himself particularly after how well david louise comes up in extremely big matches so agreed that would that would be my truth shakiness there, uh, but it sounds like it's not that shaky based upon you guys disagreeing with me, which is fantastic. Moving along <laughs> though, uh, Howell has the questions at hell of a match. I had my doubts we'd keep it close prior to playing, but the boys came to play. Seeing the success of the false nine and lack of production for forwards, are we going to see this more until we get some other talent in the attacking role? We did answer this on the first podcast of the week. We did mention that it's probably not going to happen all the time, but it is nice to know we have an alternative option. Uh, in another statement here from JL Hines saying, unbelievable. I watched it again last night to see what I missed. We absolutely looked more comfortable after getting that goal, played with more confidence and didn't give the ball away as quickly or as frequently in the second half. I see a lot of questions about the false nine, but I think it's obvious that the biggest change from midweek was mentality. The players left everything on the field and I love them for this. What do you think Sari needs to do to get this type of effort out of the team every week, uh, every more frequently against lesser opposition? We have played our socks off against Liverpool, Arsenal, and City this year, but dropping points to lesser teams will kill us in this top four race. I'll end it with this. Trust the process. Trust in Sari. If City don't lose again, likely, we end their invincible run like they did to us in 04-05. I think there are some great things coming. That, that sounds nice. uh, it's positive. That sounds good, right, Nick? Yeah, that's very positive. I, you know, I, I just mentioned this after Derek's question, but um, I, I'm not 100 percent sure uh, what Sorry can do uh, on the on the motivation front. Uh, you know, I think I think yesterday is kind of a, a an outlier because we're we're playing a team with such talent and 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 prestige uh, as they've built over the last ten years and. 
you know, I, I'm hoping it's not an aberration, but I think one of the ways that you can motivate players is by um, resting them or sitting them uh, in, in favor of maybe some of our younger talent that Dan just mentioned, like an Ampadu or, or a Ruben Loftus-Cheek or a Barkley or, you know, any and all of these people, uh, I think, are, are, you know, maybe maybe that's the kind of motivation that these guys need to realize that if they don't consistently bring it, a la Willian or a la um Jorginho or any of the players who have who have struggled recently that they are easily replaced and 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 sorry we'll take that action so I don't I don't know what you think Naz but that was just kind of the only thing that popped into my head yeah motivation wise yeah it's 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 tough that it could be an option um but I think that it's it's getting players like Hazard uh William Pedro William has got a good potential but people are right to criticize him um, in his recent performances and and uh, I think that I think that Chelsea, they 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 are still adapting, but they they've got mentally changed the way they operate as well. They've been so good for so long. These players have done so much for so long. And uh, Sari thinks they have a strange mentality though, because they finish what they finish. They win the league. They finish tenth. They win the league. They finish fifth. Uh, what's it going to be this season? Uh, nobody knows. It could be a bit of a shock. Uh, so they're obviously capable talent wise, but um, it's just I guess. Dressing rooms always have like, um, you know, there's leaders, but there's also those leaders can sometimes maybe uh, bring bring bad behavior and they need to be reflective and, and see how they can improve things. And yeah, I think that people like David Luiz do a great job with the youngsters to try and help them. Um, and it, but it's difficult for the youngsters to break through because Chelsea keep changing their managers. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. It really is a tough one. But I think that the main thing has to be patience. Um, Chelsea are adapting to a new manager, and he's trying to change the mentality. But we've seen with Spurs, they had a, they had to have a huge change in mentality because Spurs, as we all know, they're seen as the bottlers. They're seen as the team that panic at the first sign of uh, hardship. But this season, they've had their best ever start to a season. So it, it look Pochettino's been working on this for a long time, and it's kind of paying off. Uh, he had a very young team. Um, Chelsea have a different problem in that they have a maybe an older team that's uh, struggling to keep that same motivation going. They've still got the skill and the physical effort and all that, and they do work hard, but it's that mental sharpness they're really lacking. Um, and we saw it with the sucker punches at Wolves, as you put it. So, yeah, it's a tough one. There's no direct science, but it's something that you work on over a long period of time. We had uh, questions from Brett about the false nine, which we covered on the past episode. I'm going to merge the questions from Tom and Raghav together, talking about Emerson and Alonzo. Tom was asking, when will Emerson get his chance? And then Raghav was talking about Alonzo and you know that he's brilliant, but he's slowing its turnaround too easily. And does he think Palmieri will be good enough as a backup? I know, Mike, how are you feeling about the Alonzo Emerson? And do you feel like there's a chance for Emerson to potentially reach up from, you know, a quote unquote grave and then take that position out of Alonzo's cold, dead hands? I mean, there's (laughs) there's there's always the potential, right? I mean, we know that. Sorry is somebody that you have to prove trust with. So if if given the shot and Emerson performs magnificently, then then there's a real, you know, argument on the table. I don't I mean, I was shocked to see him on the bench for this match, which was great, but I don't know what he has to do to get his trust. I will say that I think um as well as everyone played yesterday, I think Alonzo was very poor, especially in 
in the first half. And, and I think we were very lucky um, that Sterling swapped sides to try and attack Dave um, because, you know, there were, there were a lot of times that, that Alonzo could not, couldn't get a single pass off, you know, to complete it to another guy in, uh, you know, in Royal Blue. So um, I think we were very lucky they, they shifted off of, you know, away from him. But I, I hope he can pull that, it together. That's a really, I mean, it's a really good point that you make there, Mike. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised we actually didn't bring it up in part one. Um, Raheem Sterling was having his way with Alonzo, and Alonzo was just rattled. I, I tweeted out from my personal account in the first half that it was a first half sub that we needed to make because he just, he just didn't look like he had it uh, together. And I think halftime was the best thing that happened to Alonzo. I thought he played a, l- a little bit better in the second half, uh, Naz, but yikes it was it was a bad first half for him yeah yeah i think that he was maybe one of the weaker performers but um it was still kind of a case of he did his job i think sorry trusts him more um than emerson for whatever reason i find it hard to find a reason to be honest because i've seen emerson play in all his games this season and he's not really had a bad game um to be honest he's his crossing is the best of all the wing backs uh Alonso, obviously, he's done it for a long time for Chelsea. He's got a great status. Maybe, maybe he needs a spell out of the team um, just to give Emerson a chance for one, for two. Maybe to rethink his own game. He's moving to a new position uh, from wing back to full back. So I think that that transition's been difficult because it's a completely. You think that it's only a small switch, but actually, it's a it's a sizable switch to be honest. Um, for Aspilicueta, it's easier, but for Alonso, he's played wing back for a long time. Uh, also, Fiorentina. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a difficult one. I think that Emerson. I mean, I'd have no qualms about playing Emerson, but Sari seems to think that set pieces, uh, both attacking and defensively, uh, Alonso contributes a lot, and he does. Um, but Emerson's only five nine, so uh, that might be part of the issue. But I think that. Yeah, Emerson deserves a chance. Um, it's really hard on him. He's a great player. Even at Roma, before he got his injury, he was really seen as a top top defender. So um, he is good enough for Chelsea, Emerson, and uh, Chelsea will lose him if they don't play him eventually. As is the case with most scenarios with players who get fed up with just wasting away or seeing their career uh, disappear in front of their eyes. So Daniel had a question asking what just happened. Uh, You know what? I think we covered that one pretty heavily. Uh, A wondrous event (laughs) happened right before our eyes. It was glorious. Have we? (laughs) Oh, yeah, we did. We we, we covered that one. Okay. Fully. Uh, Jacob then had a question saying that he was going to retire his 17-18 third kit. He wore it on Wednesday when we lost to Wolves. Uh, Passed it today. And then now they beat the best team ever, uh, or the best team in Europe. Shame, I like that kit. So <laughs> sorry about that, uh, Jacob. But he did have an actual question talking about the transfer market, saying early November, we were linked with Suso from AC Milan. That really hasn't been discussed much since the Pulisic rumors started up. I'm a huge Pulisic fan, but Suso has 12 goals involvements and 14 appearances compared to Pulisic's 3-9. and nine. Suso has a $34 million release clause, is only 25. Why hasn't this rumor been discussed more, and do you think he'd be a decent right-wing signing? And Naz, we got to go to you for this one. You know, I think uh, transfers, rumors, all of that, we love tapping on our journalist friends to give us their thoughts. Yeah, well, I guess the reason it hasn't been talked about more is not because Suso is not as good. It might just be that he's the less fancied one for Chelsea, maybe the harder one to sign. Um, Pulisic's contract 
is running out. Uh, it runs out on the same day as Eden Hazard's contract runs out. So uh, you can see Chelsea are in the same situation that Borussia Dortmund are in. Uh, Pulisic is, uh, you know, he's a young player. Um, it kind of fits the Chelsea bill really these days. They like to sign young players who are who have not quite proven it, but become give them Chelsea as their platform as a top club to prove it. Um, you may be signing guys. Pulisic's quite young actually for that. It's, he's only twenty years old and. He won't. He won't. He won't leave Dortmund in January. They're they're adamant they won't sell him in January. So the summer, if he's not signed a deal, uh, I think it's. I think Chelsea will will get him. Um, or or I think Chelsea are in pole position, uh, which would be great for the US fans to have that connection with a player uh, that sort of local fans have, like with Loftus Cheek. Um, but yeah, it's it's it, Suso. It, he is the kind of player that I could see. Sorry, signing. Um, I've not heard anything myself personally on that one, but uh, I think that maybe Pulisic is more dynamic, more aggressive. You know, it's a lot of what Pulisic is good at is the pressing side of the game. He's been at Dortmund now for a while. They defend in a very similar way to Chelsea, um, so it's not a huge transition for him. I think. I think that a lot of people want to see William change, want to see Pedro even changed, but um, these guys have done a lot. So for Pulisic, it's going to be a huge challenge. There's going to be a huge spotlight on him. Um, just like in the US national team, he's going to have no hiding place and it's, it could be tough for a young lad. Um, he's obviously having a difficult season this year. Jaden Sancho has emerged, a wonder kid from England at, at Dortmund. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that he doesn't get so many goal involvements like like the question says. Um, and when he comes to Chelsea, especially if Hazard has left, uh, it could be a lot of pressure for Pulisic. All right. That is a good summary there. So we'll uh, c- kick in. That was all of our Patreon questions. So obviously, uh, if you want to make sure that you get your question answered in the top half of the podcast, it's probably always good to get in there. We get more and more of them all the time. So we appreciate the activity and the conversation there. Nick, though, Thorny Plush great username asking is there anything better than the game of footy the, the answer is no that uh, it is okay. it is the best we then also had brad ask mike if uh did anyone else not breathe for the last 10 minutes which sounds like would probably mean that you died but <laughs> go ahead I, I didn't breathe for the first 10 minutes i actually think that 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 was a tougher run i than agree the last 10 i agree with that oh and then our friend eric uh quick shot cfc asking uh three questions uh i'll answer two and then throw one to our friend and as um do you think this is a turning point game for the team as a, uh, a whole? Yes. Uh, will Liverpool slip up? Most assuredly. And then the last one would be is, will this really hurt Morata's confidence being dropped, Naz? And I, I think, you know, at least my answer would be most certainly, but I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, I agree with you, Dan. Uh, history says yes, because, uh, you know, we've seen he's faced a lot of challenges in his, challenges in his career, in his Chelsea career. Um He's been dropped by Spain for the World Cup. That really hurt him, understandably. You know, we're all human beings. We all hurt sometimes. Um, but it, what worries me is that smaller things hurt him as well. So if he's having a... I saw him have... He had a really good game against Wolves, actually, for much of the game. Um, the last two performances that Murat has been involved in are Spurs uh, away and Wolves away. And now they're tough games. Um, he's been playing the tougher games, but... Uh, he was not good in either. He got subbed in the 58th minute of the Spurs game, then the 65th minute of the Wolves game. Um, that could hurt his confidence. He could already have, 
he could have already been hit. And then this this disappointment as well. Um, Sari assures us that Murata can handle this, but um, and that he understands that it was just a tactical decision. But to be that fifty eight million pound striker plus add ons and not be picked for a huge game is a is a bit of a blow um, for your confidence. Of course it is. So I, I do worry about that. I think it's sort of a, for me, it's a make or break season for a lot of players. And I think for Murata, it is really as well. Um, he needs to prove himself before the end of the season. Um, and then maybe Sari will think about alternatives uh, when the transfer window rolls around, especially if the transfer ban comes in and that's the last transfer window for a while. Maybe they'll be like, we're going to swap out Murata uh, because we'll be stuck with him for uh, a long, long time if we don't. So, yeah, it's. Um, his, his confidence is always an issue for Chelsea, to be honest, and uh, I, I, there's not been any solution yet. We keep getting told there's, that every time he scores that it's going to end, um, or, or interviews with him, he says that he's over it now after he scored a goal, but I think that, I think that it, it's still yet to be seen if he's robust enough to be a striker at a top club, the main striker at a top club, because technically he's good enough, but mentally, we don't know. It's still time, but we don't know. Well, it's a great summary of the career and the highs and lows of Alvaro Morata at Chelsea. We had uh, a wonderful comment here from John Logan Hines, who is uh, adapting a little bit of the Philadelphia 76ers model with distrust the process, question mark. He did follow up, though, Nick, with a that it was supposed to be an exclamation point afterwards. Okay, yeah. No, I, I mean, I think I think for a lot of people, and this, this is not for... for uh, John uh, specifically, but broader, um, especially with some of our fans who we we interact with on a on a decent you know kind of cadence in Twitter, Instagram. The season's just gonna have a lot of ups and downs. You know, I think if you set your expectations appropriately, maybe it won't affect you as much uh, as as uh, as it might uh, otherwise. But it's just going to be a lot of a lot of learning opportunities this year. I hope we finish top four, just like everybody else. But you know, certainly a hill, a hill to climb there, and we're going to get into the the competition at the end of the show. But just let's let's trust the process for sure, and and just realize that in the first year under a new manager playing a completely different system, that there are going to be really good days like today and really bad days like Wolves and. Sometimes those happen in back-to-back matches, and it's not predictable. Um, but, you know, just don't let it get to you too much. It's it's a long season. That uh, is a very fair statement. So we also had a ton of questions about uh, Mike's least favorite defender, David Luiz. Whoa, um, whoa, whoa, We had whoa. A underscore Mangola, 035, M uh, Roswell, 16, I am Luke Mann, and then Constantine. Basically, I'll ask the question of you know, David Luiz being a king of winning matches. Um, has he redeemed himself? Is he good enough? Hashtag asking for a friend. And then should we look to replace him? And I'm going to guess, Mike, that your answer is yes, because uh, all I hear is you just on top of the slander game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know that. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love David Luiz. And um, not only because, you know, in my you know playing days i could play a little bit like him if you know um but no i i think this comes down to narrative um kind of like what nick was saying we we've had two losses 
and it's December. And I think people are like trying to, they're looking at Louise and like, come on, we've, we've had two losses. He played in one of them. So I don't care what you want to say about him. He's put up some really huge performances. His, his passing from the back and, and a bunch of other things. He's, he's adding things to the field, to the, to the chemistry of what we needed to be one of the best teams in Europe. So, um, <clears throat> you know, he has swagger and he plays a dangerous game at times, but, you have to admire that. And I think, you know, if you, you watch any of the stuff that the club puts out, that I think one of the important aspects of, of leadership and, and, you know, the locker room is that he puts people at ease. He keeps it light. And, you know, we might have lost to Wolves, but you knew that he was going to kind of make it all right for the guys so that they could move on and, you know, focus on, on City. Um, so I think that people need to give him a chance. Is he, you know, is he going to give us up, give up goals? Yes, but he's also going to, you know, create beautiful assists or score goals too. So we have to look at it, I think, holistically as what he's going, you know, what he brings to Sari's plan. It's very, very fair statement. And it seems like you just turned a corner on David Luiz. I'm very happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Conte questions. They have to go to Nick. Uh, we had Taylor. And uh, El Jefe Gonzalez asking about, can the position debate for N'Golo Conte finally be over? Can we stop busting his balls? Uh, one, you know, Taylor called him N'Golo Lampard, oh which I don't know if that's <laughs> a little bit of an overreaction right, look, theater. This but. is, yeah, it's it's too much. Um, did, did my boy N'Golo score a beautiful goal yesterday? Yes, he did. He was tremendous. I thought he was all over the pitch. And even though Jorginho covered more ground, I think that maybe uh, maybe Angola was more impactful with, with his play. So in that regard, I think he, he's doing well. Maybe, and I'm throwing this out there to the group, maybe it's a new position and he's learning what to do and when to make that late run into the box. And maybe yesterday's goal is the spark that you know helps him kind of get there. Um, I'm... I, I'm just so impressed by how he continues to uh, stay cool under pressure and and tune out the noise that's happening. He is certainly one of the two best players on our team, and I just I just love him. Uh, don't don't do anything to to change who you really are, Angolo. You're the man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to come in on that. Just uh, I think Sari's been using him because he's unsure about the defense, and I don't mean. The defenders, I mean, the sort of, you know, Sari always says they defend as a group. You know, it's a pressing game. There's supposed to be a right amount of space between the lines at all times or else it doesn't work. So a lot of their problems come from that. And, and how other teams react to Chelsea? So like Spurs, they had a great game plan, to be honest, and they that's why they hurt Chelsea so much. So, um, yeah, I think that N'Golo has been part of that, been part of their sort of adjustment process, keeping it solid because, you know, he can do a one-off thing where he makes a tackle that nobody else can make. He can read danger that no one else can read. And, and that's really important for Sari um, when he changes his system. And that's why the defenders haven't changed very often because he wants the consistency. When you have defenders, you need consistency. With attackers, you can change it more because they come in fresh with ideas, with creativity, but... Um, defenders and sort of midfielders need consistency to deliver that, what they do. Um, yeah, and and kind of with Kante, it's clear that 
it's a, it's a new thing for him. It's a challenge. He was really bad against Spurs, to be honest. But um, it, and he was criticised, but he was bad because the team was bad as well. Um, everyone was bad. It was it's like the opposite of the City game. But uh, it's he's a square peg in a round hole. But he can do it. He it's easier for him to learn something new um, because he's done it every year in his career. He learned how to go from Khan to go to Leicester. He learned how to win the Premier League with Leicester. Then he went to Chelsea, a much bigger club. He learned how to adapt with that, won the league. You know, He kept going, won the World Cup. This guy adapts to everything. Whereas Jorginho, he's a specialist. This guy is like set in stone. He's not Cesc Fabregas. Lots of people are saying swap him around. But Cesc Fabregas is completely different to Jorginho. Yes, they're both technical players, but Jorginho's not scored from open play under Maurizio Sarri. So... Um, you remember he played for Napoli as well for many years under Sari, so that's quite. Um, he's great at penalties, but that's quite. A, that's quite a big, big step up to see him playing in a higher up the pitch. Um, Jorginho is adapting to the Premier League, and Kante is adapting to his new position. Uh, and hopefully, if if it all comes together, Chelsea might have the best midfield in the league, and that's that's including maybe even Man City. So these guys are great. Um, just need a bit of patience. Things are changing. It's a revolution at Stamford Bridge. Well, Naz, since you were so eloquent in that you know, summary of Ingolo Conte and Jorginho, we, we actually had two questions specifically for you. Bypass all of us, and just because you were on the podcast, they wanted <laughs> to put it in front of you. One was our uh, our friend Timothy asking, every time I listen to the pressers with Sorry, you get picked to ask a question, how do you always muscle your way into the mix? Yeah, it's quite competitive. Yeah, Um I think that a lot of people have their own ideas to ask questions and uh, it's, it's quite exciting to ask a manager a question. But yeah, it's um, I guess you just need to be respected, keep working hard and and, and make people interested in what you're doing. And uh, then maybe people start to take note of you, give you chances, that you know, small things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, always, I do listen to what the fans say when they give me question ideas. I don't always go with it because... You know, like the Fabregas and Louise question I asked the other day, um, I, I kind of just had that in mind and I was just single-minded. And I was just going to be like, yeah, I just want to know about this. What's Sari's view about this? And it kind of came up with some good stuff. But the fans have given me some really good ideas about questions. Um, I can't ask about Callum Hudson-Odoi every week. Um, we know the situation there. Um, it's, it's frustrating to not see him play, even for me. Um, and I'm not a Chelsea fan, so I understand that. But uh, we can't ask questions based on frustrations. We ask it on a sort of kind of we need to know this kind of thing right now. Um, so that that's kind of a bit of an insight into why I ask questions, what why I choose my questions. And um, yeah, I do really appreciate the sort of connection that I have with the fans who are respectful and give me ideas. And sometimes we go with it. Uh, Liam asked about uh, Emerson Palmieri in the last press conference, because Liam Toomey from ESPN, um, I should say, uh, he asked about Emerson Palmieri because a, a fan um, asked him to. So, uh, yeah, we do listen, um, and we are listening to things that are said on social media. So don't worry, we're looking. I, also, you've, you've been putting on actual muscle to to elbow people out of the way, right? I mean, I think we had you on that that, that protein-heavy diet for a little bit, you're you're bulking up. It's bulking season, Ness. You- oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And <laughs> and Nick as well. The the worst thing is the mix zone. So when you <laughs> at the World Cup, when you go and try and interview the players, those places, especially if it's sort of an international mix zone, uh, there could be like a hundred journalists, and you do need the muscle. You need to bulk up 
those protein shakes really work in, in those environments. <laughs> when Neymar walks past you and everyone wants a word with Neymar, then you see chaos. That is true chaos. And I was at a Brazil game at the World Cup and that was insane. I needed every bit of muscle I had and I'm only 5'8", so... Yeah, it was pretty pretty brutal. I, I'm I'm very uh, proud that you went the high road and talked about how he walked past you instead of rolled past you. Uh. Was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't cough on him, luckily. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So the other one we had was from a, a Jerry or no Gary Gary Hayes asking Naz when he's going to return my calls. Thanks. <laughs> Soon, Gary. It's the time of year. Maybe I'll be generous and we can have a Christmas catch-up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to end all of our questions. We had more than we could answer, which is usually the case. And thank you, everybody, for throwing some at us. Uh, we're going to go into a little bit of a top four slash top six watch here after a quick little uh, classic football shirt shout-out, Nick. Correct. Uh, as you may have heard in part one, but I, I don't want to just assume that you heard in part one. Uh, we still have our promo code open with classic football shirts. So if you use London pod, uh, you will get 10% off uh, of, of your order at classicfootballshirts.co.uk. So that's a, a great thing that we're running and we're happy to partner with them on that. Uh, we will also have a, a giveaway coming up in the next week or so prior to Christmas. So maybe someone will have a, a nice, uh, you know, holiday gift, um, for, for those who celebrate at the end of the, the month. So that'll be a thing that we're going to work on. And then finally, if you are in London on the 29th um, of December, when we get over there, it's our first day of our trip. We are doing a live podcast with our, our friends from the Chelsea Fancast, Chidge, Worrell, uh, Dan Sills, JK, the entire crew um, at Classic Football Shirts London shop. Uh, so we're really excited about that. And we're, we'd love to know if you're interested, if you're Coming with us, we kind of have you earmarked already, but uh, if you're just going to be over from the States or from wherever you are from uh, for the uh, Palace and Southampton matches and want to come hang out with us, just shoot us a DM and let us know. Uh, or if you live in London and, and you're a fan of the show, we'd love to, to have you join us as well. Uh, we are just we're, we're trying to understand what the demand is so that we can provide enough beer for people, which is a really important thing, Mike. I mean, we can't be, we can't run low on beer and have to go for a beer run in the middle of the show, you know? No, no, not at all. I mean, why even have the show if we don't have beer, right? Really good point about that, Mike. Um, so yeah, if, if not for beer, then, then you're just watching a bunch of idiots talk up on a stage and, and that's not nearly as fun. So, uh, uh, so anyway, uh, 29th of December, probably around 7 p.m. or later. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to try and get Naz here to join us for a, for a pint or two. So um, anyway, that's what we got for Classic Football Shirts. We're excited. Do it. All right. So we're going to take a look at the top part of the table here. So we are currently level on points with Arsenal, but ahead on goal difference. Two points behind Spurs, seven points behind City, eight points behind Liverpool. Oh. Um uh, so, you know, obviously the title race was presumed dead from the point of the preseason when it was Manchester City's to lose. Um, but now it seems like there has been a little bit of a defibrillator shock has been brought and, and made this scene brought this back to life. So I was hoping that we could take a look at Liverpool City, Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, and yes, even Manchester United because they have crept back in the top six. It's not just because Naz is here. And <laughs> take a look at their next five games. So what's left between now and the time that we're going to be over in London and try to project 
where in terms of points these teams might take away with and also help you understand that some teams have very difficult fixtures, some teams don't have difficult fixtures, and how much movement there could continue to be in the top five, top six over the winter festivities. So, Nick, we're going to start with Liverpool. What's their slate of matches look like coming up here? Yeah, they have a difficult slate. Uh, They have United at home. They have Wolves away. Uh, They have Newcastle at home, Arsenal at home, and City away. So, uh, three of the top six in the next five matches for Liverpool. Uh, and then as I, I see in the Google Doc as we're talking about this, Mike just dropped a big old nine in there for Liverpool, which is a, a pretty low number potentially. And uh, would you like to justify your statement? You know, I, I think that despite being on top right now, I, I think they're a little bit vulnerable. I mean, you look at playing City at, you know, on the road, I think that's a tough match to get any points out of. And you know, Arsenal's red hot right now as well. So, um, you know, I think they'll definitely beat United and Wolves and Newcastle, but I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park for them. Naz, how do you think the fixtures are going to suss out here for Liverpool? Yeah, it's tough. I'm, I'm not sure, but I think one of the big factors that hurts Liverpool is Joe Gomez's injury. Um, I think they're looking a bit uh, la- lacking in defence now since that injury. He was great for them this season. His partnership with... Virgil van Dijk, who they're going to be over-reliant on, on now um, in this busy period. Um, he's going to have to rest for some big games and and uh, and that's going to be tough for Liverpool to handle, in my opinion. So I do think they'll drop points. Um, Mourinho's going to park the bus against them, so could be a nil-nil draw there. Uh, yeah, it's, it, and we know about Wolves, as, as you know, as watching Chelsea. Um, it's tough. Uh, I think that nine points is about right, to be honest. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I see Nick here dropped a 10. I dropped a 10. I think it's not going to be maximum points for Liverpool, which anything outside of maximum points is going to put them in jeopardy of falling to potentially Manchester City, who, you know, Mike, seems like they have a bit of a nicer fixture schedule here outside of one big match. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm putting them down for 12 points. I think that maybe, maybe they uh, will drop points uh, at Anfield, but I think... I think they're going to get the show back on the road. You know, had we played this match, you know, 10 times, maybe City would have won, you know, seven or eight of them. So I don't think that this is any huge hiccup. Um, I think that overall for them and what we found out against Wolves, you know, possessions, meaningless goals, win games and, you know, Possession helps with scoring, but if you're not clinical, you're not going to win. And uh, Nick, I think you uh, project maximum points for our, our I do. Th- the Centurions. I do. Yeah, I think I think they're they're going to fire back up after this loss. Um, I think it's a a crucial moment for them, and I know that De Bruyne and Aguero and a couple of other key players are, are not a hundred percent healthy, but uh, they certainly have enough to get through Everton, Palace, Leicester, and Southampton without a. A worry at all, and then I think they will beat Liverpool at home, even though that will be tough. Naz, you agree with Nick's assessment there? You think it's going to be uh, maximum points for City and Pep? Not quite. Maybe 13 and a draw against Liverpool. Um, maybe that will be the way I go. New unbeaten run, loading from Man City. <laughs> uh, I think it, it shows just how good Chelsea were against City and how much of a special effort it was. Um, I agree with Mike that it could have easily gone another way in another day. I think 
if Aguero was playing and he and will be back soon. Um, if Aguero was playing against Chelsea, it might have been tougher. But um, Laporte, as it was his first loss in his Man City career against Chelsea. Um, Leroy Sane failed to score an assist for the first time starting a Premier League game this season against Chelsea. Um, it's, it's, it, Man City were aiming to win back-to-back games at Stamford Bridge for the first time since 1955. Um, City uh, were 21 matches unbeaten before yesterday, so um, they are great. And I, I'm never backing against a Guardiola team that's really clicked into gear um, these days. And, and City have spent the most day are the best in so many different ways. And um, yeah, I, I always back City, to be honest, and can be, you know, as a guy who grew up disliking City, it's kind of tough. All right. So I think we're on the range of 12 to 15 points for City, which is going to, if our plan for Liverpool plays out, probably puts them back ahead into the first position, Liverpool potentially dropping then to a second spot. Tottenham, though, um, also have, I think, a very favorable fixture list. Burnley at home, though it's really away because is it truly home? No, not really. <laughs> Everton away. It's, it's oh, they're all away games. Uh, Bournemouth, Wolves, and Cardiff. Um, I know Mike is giving a zero fu to Spurs as a result. So we're going to bypass him. He doesn't need to talk anymore in this episode. Uh, then we'll go to Nick. Who? Uh, what would you say? Playing a slate of five away games. Um, yeah, five away games is tough. Um, I, I think they will draw Everton, um, to be honest. I think that's a really tough fixture for them. Uh, I think Everton and their style actually will will frustrate Spurs a lot. Other than that, I see them picking up maximum points. I mean, Burnley Burnley's tough, but they're really only tough at Turf Moor. Uh, Bournemouth is, is scrappy, but I'm not sure they have enough quality Wolves obviously can do anything. Apparently, um, they gave City trouble at the beginning of the year too. But uh, I, I don't think that will be uh, a, a win for Wolves by any means. And then I think Cardiff are, are objectively garbage. So uh, I, I think thirteen points of the fifteen for Spurs. Unfortunately, that is depressing news. Naz, would you agree, or do you think there's some possibility that Spurs might? Uh, bottle it a little bit more and drop some more of those precious, precious points. I'm sorry, Chelsea fans, but I totally agree with Nick. Definitely 13 points. Everything Nick said about the games, I agree with that. Everton draw. Um, I, th- I really like Everton this season, but what what makes me th- say that is that I was watching the Spurs game yesterday uh, way to Leicester. It seems like a tough game on paper. Um, and they rested Harry Kane. They rested Christian Eriksen, um, but they didn't. They, they they survived without it. They've got Barcelona coming up next, and they managed to rest two key players and still come out on top against a tough team. Um, I thought that was that was amazing. People like Deli Ali are in top form now. Um, they just have a lot of depth and a lot of quality. Um, Son Heung Min is amazing. He, we we saw it against Chelsea. I think he's a brilliant player, and uh, sorry to say that to Chelsea fans on a Chelsea podcast, but uh, this Spurs team are really good, and the, I think the you were right. The main thing that hurts them is that Wembley's not their home, so uh, that, that's the only issue that might come into play. Um, I think people are getting a little bit fed up with Wembley. The Spurs fans are getting a little bit fed up with Wembley, and as we saw yesterday with Chelsea, the fans do have an impact to the players on the pitch, and if that if that malaise starts to creep into the Spurs' performances, then 
Um, that's the only thing that might see them drop more points, but 13 points for me. Yeah, I went with 11 because uh, uh, you made a lot of phenomenal points there. I think Wolves show that they can, you know, they, they drew a city, they beat us. I think there's an opportunity for them to play a little bit of a spoiler throughout this season, which is very nice for those looking to secure a top four spot. Um, Chelsea have a pretty easy fixture list potentially there, Nick. Maybe <laughs> on on paper, yeah. Um, so uh, Brighton away, Leicester home, Watford away, Crystal Palace away, Southampton home. We will be at the last two of those, uh, which I'm very excited about. Um, I think we pick up 13 out of 15 points. I just I think there's the odd draw somewhere in here, and I'm not sure how or why. It could be could be Watford, honestly. Maybe that's the one that stands out to me. Um, but we should be picking up 15 points. I mean, if we look at the quality of our squad and we look at the quality of the other squads listed here, I, I think it's 15. But uh, we, we haven't been that consistent this year beating teams that we should beat. So I'm going to say 13 just to be safe. Uh, Mike, it looks like you are also on the confidence man bandwagon and are saying 15 points would be the way to go, as am I. Any thought process uh, or reasons why Nick is absolutely wrong? <laughs> well, you know, it's not just Nick. I mean, I think won't Naz have to turn in his uh, press uh, credentials for green with uh, <laughs> Nick on the Tottenham? Uh, no, I, I think these are all these are all winnable games. Um, if we want to finish top four, we're going to have to run you know run this part of the table, and there's really no reason why we can't beat. Any of these, any of these squads, regardless of where we're playing them, we have the talent. We have, you know, we have the system. And you know, if we struggle a little bit, I would really like to see us revert back to you know the false nine. Put William on his preferred left side, and you know, crush some teams. Naz, would you uh, think maximum points is a potential, or do you feel like the inconsistency or the roller coaster season is going to mean Chelsea uh, won't be able to pull it off just from stru- a structural standpoint? Oh well, yeah, it's um, the mentality aspect comes into play now. Um, just played Man City, just beat them. You can beat the best team in the world. Um, Chelsea are that good, uh, but the mentality aspect makes them weaker over a thirty-eight game season. And it's these kind of games. These, these five games are exactly the uh, what Sarri's warning against. Performances against Brighton um, are what define your season as well. It's three points in every game. Fifteen points will be a great return. Um, because I don't trust Chelsea this season and because they're still adapting, I would say maybe 11 points. Um, I think Watford away, Whoa. Watford away is Yikes. tough. I think that, uh, but I, I think Chelsea will go unbeaten. I don't think, I, don't, I think if they don't win, they'll draw. Um, I, I don't know if they're going to have quite the blackout they did against Wolves. I think Spurs um, were exceptional against Chelsea as well as Chelsea being poor, but I think against Wolves, that was a stranger one, much stranger one, a blackout, uh, as Sari put it. Um, I don't think that will happen again for a while. I think that Chelsea will snap out of it, um, go unbeaten, but maybe just the 11 points. All right, so as we move on uh, to Arsenal, who get to play basically play the equivalent of a dumpster fire and then have one decent match. They have Southampton away, Burnley at home, Brighton away, Liverpool away, and then Fulham at home. Um I unfortunately have to be very optimistic that they will probably pick up uh, at least 12 points out of that. I think Liverpool probably beats them, but beyond that, I think they should take everything, Nick. 
Yeah, uh, I I I think they're gonna have the odd draw in there somewhere. I just I watched them play uh, yesterday against Huddersfield, and they were not convincing at all. Uh, in fact, I think Huddersfield deserved something out of that game uh, with the tenacity they played with. So uh, anyway, not to not to belabor this, I think they will. They'll beat Southampton. I think they will probably struggle with Burnley. Maybe that's the draw. I think they will beat Brighton. I think they will lose to Liverpool, and I think they will beat Fulham at home. Then, Mike, you uh, you believe that they will do something similar? Uh, I actually think that they're going to pull thirteen points. Um, you know, regardless of their performance yesterday, they got maximum points. I think um, this is not the Arsenal team of old. Um, they seem, you know energized and usually pretty well um, marshaled. So I'm, I'm thinking they're going to do very well. I think this is going to be a very, very tough um, run for everyone, and anyone dropping points is going to be huge. And then, Naz, uh, obviously you've had a chance to see Arsenal and, and Chelsea play in person this season. You probably took away some notes from that. Do you think they can run the table, or are they going to also struggle with some of the uh, the first season under a new manager bumps? Yeah, I think they're going through the same thing as Chelsea. They're still, you know, Chelsea fans should be positive about Sarri. So should Arsenal fans about Emery. Um, I say maybe 10 points. Um, I think maybe they'll get upset in one of the games. Um, maybe even Southampton the next game because there could be a reaction with a new manager. Um, but yeah, Liverpool away obviously is tough. So I think that 10 points, but they're going to be a contender all season for the top four and, and Chelsea need to stick at it. And that just shows you the level of competition. These smaller teams are really struggling against the big teams. The Wolves' result was... Uh, quite a rare one. There's not many um, top six teams dropping points against teams outside the top six. So, um, yeah, I'm expecting everyone to rack up some decent points and 10 points for Arsenal. All right, and we have to go right to you, Naz, when we talk about Manchester United. Liverpool away, Cardiff <laughs> away, Huddersfield at home, Bournemouth at home, and Newcastle away. Um, what is your thought on what Mourinho and his men will be able to accomplish? Uh, will it be a very Merry Christmas or it will be a uh, coal in the stocking season? Uh, I think I think it's going to be a coal in the stocking season overall. Yeah, um, but yeah, the 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 sort of the sort of attached side to me with Man United says I'm quite pessimistic, but I'm trying to be as objective as possible here. Um, and I think that maybe the emergence of Rashford and Lingard and uh, as sort of hard-working players, has sort of helped Man United of late, and they beat they beat Fulham quite easily this weekend. I know it's only Fulham, but um, it, it's a start. When you when you're hitting rock bottom, then you need to start somewhere. So um, I think that maybe they'll draw with Liverpool. I could never say that they'll lose to that, that game. Although any any sane person would say they would lose that game. So I realise that I'm a bit insane for doing that. Um, Cardiff away, I think that that's the sort of game that's sort of hurting Man United. So maybe they'll lose that one, win the two at home uh, and beat Newcastle away. So what's that, 10 points as well? They don't really get to close the gap though because I've predicted everyone above them will get at least 10 points. So um, I think that Man United are still going to be struggling to get anywhere near this top top four, uh, even though they they'll get 10 points from these games. Well, is uh, you know, that that will at least keep them in the hunt so to speak, uh even though they might not have enough bottled water to go around at press conferences nowadays. <laughs> um 
Nick, how are you feeling about United? Will they kind of continue to add some pressure to the the bottom of this top six? Or do you feel like it's uh, maybe they're kind of on lock in that position right now? I think they should take 12 points in this in this run. I mean, I don't think they'll beat Liverpool. I just don't think they're they have the the players to kind of keep up. But uh, otherwise, I mean, if you don't beat Cardiff away in Naz, I'm I'm worried. I'm worried about you. Cardiff um, created miracles. That they're like the new Huddersfield. Ah uh, oh, man, I mean, but they're they're just abject. Um, they're playing with a right back I, up front. I mean, who sees that coming? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the uh, the the always sunny in Philadelphia. He's like the Charlie Day wild card character. Yeah, wild card. Ah, <laughs> oh, dude, that's that's my my favorite episode of that show. By the way, I loved it. Um, yeah, I mean, Huddersfield's tough. They they play organized, but I mean, that should be a win at home. Bournemouth at home, you guys should win. Newcastle away. I know you guys struggled with them before the uh, before the Mourinho miracle, the Martial miracle. But uh, you know, it's I don't know. I, Twelve. If you don't take twelve points, I, I'm really worried about you, Naz. Uh, I'm gonna. We'll, we'll see. We'll see you in uh, for you know after the Bournemouth and Newcastle games, and we'll we'll just take your temperature, see how you're doing. <laughs> Uh, and Mike, you, you were wondering uh, something else just beyond the points. Yeah, well, Naz. Why, why does Jose have a job at this point? Like, all right, well, that's kind of so it seems like based upon this movement that we're projecting, the only real movement that's going to happen is Manchester City goes up top, Liverpool drops to second and some level of competition between maybe a move between Chelsea and Tottenham kind of potentially flip-flopping positions, but not necessarily guaranteed. So it looks like it's pretty much going to be the same, but you know what? The best thing about the Premier League is it's chaotic and it's glorious and it's wonderful. And you can be most assured that John Moss or Craig Pawson will somehow screw this up for all of us. And it'll be a really, really exciting uh, next couple of weeks as we head into a very, very rough and tough fixture window. The, the better question from Mike, I'm going to rephrase Mike's question. How does Craig Pawson still have a job? <laughs> like, like Mike, God, Man, I, it's re- I, it's I, absurd at this point. I'm pretty sure, and you can correct me if I'm wrong since you were there, Naz, that none of the English or Premier League officials made it to the World Cup or were selected for World Cup usage. Yeah, that's right. The, no representation. There's a reason. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Well, on that note, uh, we want to again thank you, Naz, for spending some time with us and chatting through this. And uh, we really look forward to seeing you again in person. No worries. All the best, guys. Cheers. All right. right, Thanks, Uh, Naz. Thank you very much. Uh, Mike, any closing thought from you? Yeah, you know, I think something that I I really reflected on was uh, how very happy I was for David Luiz. I think City games have been a bit of... They've had some hoodoo for him. He's left them with injuries. And, you know, to see him get that, like, Muay Thai knee in the ribs from Sterling and uh, shake it off and, you know, score a goal, I think that was it was great to see. Nicholas, anything from you? Uh, Liverpool on top of the table is like an elephant on top of a tree. You don't know how it got there, but you're certain it will fall. So. <laughs> Oh, and with that, we are going to do one last thing before we get out of here, and that is ask you to have a great week. And, you know, until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.